I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi! Welcome to Scam Wow. I'm producer Kate here covering for Katie Brodnick, uh, your favorite host, favorite Kate, you could call her. She is currently on vacation in the woods in a beautiful cabin with her husband, Alan, and they are disconnecting, reconnecting, love connection, uh, taking a rest. And so I am jumping in here really quickly to introduce this episode and to wish Katie a wonderful vacation because she deserves it and she works very hard. So everybody send her at ScamWow Podcast on Instagram. Just a little DM of love, a little like enjoy your vacay girl live your life get some slippers go outside look at the falling leaves it's gorgeous uh but she will be back very shortly to bring you more scams and today i'm bringing you this episode uh which katie she interviews rebecca sebastian specifically about elizabeth holmes and theranos it is an update because there is a court trial sure court trial is what you call it currently in effect and they go in deep 
details about it uh, because Rebecca Sebastian hosts her own podcast, which actually this week, I believe on Wednesday, released an episode all about Elizabeth Holmes, where she talks to the host of The Dropout, which is the like very official, very impressive podcast about Elizabeth Holm that was released, I believe, like a year ago. And she talks to Rebecca Jarvis, who is the ABC News Chief Business and Economics and Technology Correspondent. Uh, And so definitely go listen to that and get full up on the scam and learn everything about it. This is a really great episode. And Rebecca Sebastian brings so many key details and so many interesting like intuitive questions and then Katie offers a lot about her own experience with blood testing and getting genetic results and how the the impact that a blood test can have and why Theranos was such a failure when it came to being a successful source of medical information so uh anyway Enjoy this episode. Listen to her podcast, Die a Log, which is also about true crime, where the Rebecca Jarvis dropout interview has been posted. And then she has, for our reality fans out there, Rebecca also has a podcast called Criminality, which is the crossover between scams, cons, criminalness in general, and reality TV. So I feel like that's right up the alley of most ScamWow listeners. Definitely check that out and enjoy this episode. Bye. Well, let me start and just say welcome to Scam Wow. Oh my gosh, so happy to be here and good to see you, Caitlin. I am so thrilled. So, guys, Rebecca has an incredible podcast herself, and it's a true crime podcast called Dialogue, and it is incredibly successful. And I'm so thrilled for you. You're on panels, you're hosting things. I'm loving it. Thank you I'm so much. It. Thank you. It's been so much fun. I think we actually ended up starting right around the same time. Yeah. So I'm about <laughs> two years in and yeah, it's an interview format show, which is a little different for the genre of true crime. So yes. I was hoping it would fill a different need in the genre and I think it is. So it's been super fun. I've met like my true crime, uh, you know, celebrities and my true crime That's so heroes. I know. I do love that because there is a lot of sort of explaining in true crime. We tried to do that too. And I think sometimes we're a little murky. People are like, are you telling us a story or are you also learning the story yourself? And we're like, who knows? A little just bit of both. <laughs> we're just having fun. I think that works too. It's all about, you know, what is your objective? And there's lots of moods for podcast listening, right? Like sometimes I'm in the mood yeah. to kind of be on a ride with someone and maybe discover something in real time with them. That's fine. That's my favorite. I yeah. enjoy that so much. So there's a podcast for every mood and that's why, you know, there's so many, which I'm okay oh, with. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, guys, we have her episode. We're going to link it in in our notes. I linked it. I'll link it on on my social because I just want to send everybody there. That's so exciting. (laughs) Yay. And so Rebecca and I were connected because of Tori Telfer. And I always think her name is so prophetic because Tori rhymes with story and she's a writer. And then Telfer (gasps) is like, tell her or tell something like telling from her. Yes. There you go. Perfect. So she is just such a gifted storyteller and writer and um, love her. And she's another New York City wonderful woman. So it's just cool that we're a mom. It's just I love I know. I know. I know it's much. We met because of a housewives trivia event. And I went there alone because I was just just newly had Lewis and I was in like the throw supposed part of an Alan is like, please leave the house. And I live next door. So it wasn't hard to leave. <laughs> and you were so lovely. 
You were so lovely and invited me to sit at your table with your daughter. And then we became (laughs) housewife buddies. I know. So I'm the mom that brings her, you know, teenage daughter to basically bars to do questionable trivia. What a dream. But like, what a dream. I just, I do. I want my son to just be, to want to hang out with me, not in a creepy, like, you know, psychotic way, but just that we enjoy each other's company and it's not weird or inconvenient or bothering him. It, It won't be. I'm, I'm positive you will have that and that same daughter is now at college and coming home for <gasps> fall break this weekend I cannot wait to see her I miss her oh so gosh. much so oh yeah it goes quick it's crazy and, and also speaking of housewives I should yes. mention I have a co-host of a second podcast and if people <gasps> love the housewives we're doing uh, it's called criminality and it's the intersection of reality tv and true crime so we're telling the stories what? Of reality personalities who go through, not murders, we don't do murders, but lots of scams, lots of fraud. (laughs) Super fun. Oh my God, Rebecca, we have to have you back to talk about that too. Yeah, we'll bring Melissa in for that. She's my co-host and um, we're having a blast. We just launched that in February of this year. Congrats. Are you guys doing like the Jen Shaw of it all and all the- Oh, Jen Shaw's on the short list. I'm kind of waiting for a little more to play out in court, but we did Erica Girardi. Mm -hmm. Actually, this today's Thursday. This will probably come out after, but tomorrow's episode, I revisited the Real Housewives of D.C. So I did the Salahis <gasps> and the White House crash. Oh my gosh. Talk about a scam. That's Maybe amazing. we could do that. We did the Teresa Judice of it all. I, it's such an intimidating story. There's so much to that one and it has been requested. So I feel like we will. Um, I would love to listen to yours. I've got to go back and find that one over and over again. We see it. They have these skeletons in their closet and yet they keep showing up on these very public platforms and letting it all come out. And I will tell you, Rebecca, it, it has to be connected with this hubris of scammers because so many of the conners that we've covered have already been documenting and trying to do their own reality show and trying to do some sort of like Facebook, uh, YouTube special where they believe that they're so smart and they're so creative and no one has done what they've done or they should be as famous as they you know believe in their hearts that they actually start recording themselves doing all like the fry festival he started recording himself um theranos is we're going to talk she has so much information so much video it's it's hard to know is it delusion is it ego is it a mixture of both is it like at its core deception you know i I think it's some perfect storm of all these elements and you know the women we're talking about today are perfect examples but the ones you brought up too it's And that's what's interesting about these crimes, too, is sometimes you have to prove motive and sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. And I always find that an interest, like with Elizabeth Holmes right now, it's like, well, how are they going to prove she knowingly didn't, uh, was aware of the problems? And we'll get to that. But um, it sounds like they're going to be able to. (laughs) Okay. I know. I've been, we've been like dancing around the topic because we have to get on topic, but let's just dive into Elizabeth Holmes. I hate her voice and I don't want to tear down another woman's whatever it expression and desire to sound serious, but I flat out hate it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, I don't think that's an unfair thing to say. And the question is like, is it her voice? Like it's an affect. It's obviously a manipulation of her voice. So I think it's fair to have negative feelings towards that, especially when you find out everything we've come to know. You know, I think if this had been a different story and Theranos was what it was envisioned to be and people's lives were saved and changed, you might be like, you know what? Own it. Like, Right, you're you're in the man's world, that. in the biotech space, if you feel like you need to do that. But it, it always, 
you know, it never rang true for people. And it seemed like a red flag. And sure enough, there it is. Flags flying. So, guys, we're talking about the Theranos scam. The Elizabeth Holmes was the creator and owner and idea behind Theranos. And this we have covered with Sue a while back when it was just coming out. And we talked mainly when it first aired about the risks behind genetic testing and sort of how all of it. I actually like went into my experience with genetic testing and how the companies can the testing isn't always can be sometimes false and you have to double check. And also what was very in the beginning, it was all about then giving these patients all this false information. But let's get back into the details of the scam. We can do a quick recap for anybody who's forgotten. And then also they're in trial right now. So things are unfolding that have nothing to do with like blood tests, more to do about the business side. And what I think is one of the main issues through this whole thing, and I don't know if, if this stood out to you, Rebecca, is that everyone's saying it's this medical company, this medical company at the home of Silicon Valley. And I was like, why? Why <laughs> right. someone with no medical treatment who's a Steve Jobs head is like running a medical company who really wants is like a computer geek, you know? Yeah, the fact that it even happened at all is kind of a real head scratcher and it's an anomaly but it again is why this story why we're still paying attention to it it was I think it's the fact that she's a woman and that she was so young when she founded this company and I do I think she wanted to be more in the tech and business space but she had an interest in science and medicine not enough to finish her program at Stanford or to go to medical school or to be a physicist or whatever you need to be medical training zero zero it was really like just trying to be an entrepreneur around medicine and you know that's not good enough like I think you know, Fire Festival, on the other hand, it's like, well, that was like an entertainment idea that totally backfired, but it kind of tracks in terms of his experience. Yeah, he's a party ex- guy. He liked Jaw Rule too. We all did. So exactly. there you go. <laughs> but she really, you know, the stakes are just so much higher in this case, I think is what mm-hmm. separates it because you're talking, like you mentioned, about people's health and yeah. inaccurate results around a multitude of tests. And that is not something you can fake forever. No. You know, this was inevitably just going to fall apart. And, you know, her one of her many mistakes was not putting in doctors sooner. <laughs> yeah. Not including the medical industry in her medical creation. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of the narrative now is like this was all about PR and a story. Like the story was this idea of what Theranos could be. And mm-hmm. there was just so much more money and investment of energy into that than it was actually producing the product that worked. Exactly. And I'll tell you, I saw her, I watched just some of the documentary, the HBO documentary that's coming out now that is all about her. And it's a great documentary. There's just so many needle shots and blood shots that I couldn't really watch it. I just had to listen to it in the background. But right away, they talk, they show Elizabeth talking to a crowd. Now, what she did, guys, is she created a company while it was in the process of being created, being finalized. Then she started getting venture capitalist people to start investing in it. And it came up to a billion dollar company incredibly quickly because, and I, she said that, you know, she was a dire fan of Steve Jobs, wore the black turtlenecks because of Steve Jobs, all of these things, you know, idolized him. And what he did, he did sort of craft a story. He started a story before he explained the technology behind it. And it showed her telling a story very slowly about how her uncle, who she went to the beach with, 
died of cancer very quickly. And the way she spaces it out, I was realizing it's a technique, a storytelling technique, because you let the audience hear what you're saying and then think of their family member. Say the beach, they picture the beach. She really gave them time to picture each element of the story. And then when she talks about that she believes her uncle could have found the cancer earlier if there was a medical solution, we all human beings deserve that right. Then she's talking about human rights and just the basis of life. Then she says, and I will take your money. So she did create a very strong, manipulative, slow, story to really jump people into it. Do you know who else does that? Who? Cult leaders. <laughs> like, yes. I mean, the tactics yes. are exactly the same. You galvanize yes. support, not by saying, come join my cult or come give me your money that I'm going to, you know, fraudulently use or yes. not. They, that's not the message. The message is always like something really good and true to them that's compelling and that yes. gets people wanting to be a part of it. You're com- No, you're completely right. Because I was thinking of that too, that I, we just did an episode on the Lulu Row documentary, and it was that same idea. Like you start with a very, and all of our cult leaders, um, I always think of that one, and they all wore maroon, and they lived in California. It's the one that was like in the seventies with that one Indian woman, the Masha. Yes, uh, you know what I mean. I do. I probably mess up this documentary so many times because I'm always thinking about it because the the way they explained the slow growth was that it was like all cult leaders, like you were saying, just moments and snippet pieces of how wouldn't life be great if we all shared, if we were all collective together, if we all had these solutions. And then once they get you in, it's all of these other techniques and tools. And she actually was an expert at marketing, at money management. Like she did learn at 19 how to get a ball rolling and how to start a company. And she's she was interviewed by Fortune 500 richest women under 30. And she said that she was in a room of a bunch of CEOs and she was the only one who actually created her company from scratch. So I think there was so much that she was so proud of just being a company owner. But then at the same time, she saw, you know, an open market for medical use, but you don't start a medical company and make money for the medical company without testing, without FDA approval. No laboratory is going to get any, they might get some funding, some private funders, but they're not going to become as public and as profoundly, she was so widespread. She was so available. No medical company is doing that without the proper procedures in place. I a hundred percent agree. And what you're speaking to is I think she is a great entrepreneur. I don't think she could have gotten this far. She was a great marketer, storyteller. Totally. And I think, you know, it's easy to sit and judge scammers and frauds. However, I try to stay open enough and self-aware enough to go. Is there any part of me that can identify with this feeling? And I think it's universal. I think we've all had a job that we've said yes to that we weren't quite prepared for, but you believe you can do it, right? So this is that like on the highest level that, you know, is problematic because other people's health was at stake. So maybe we have a different threshold, but I think we all fall somewhere on that of being like, I believe I can do this a little bit. I believe my own BS, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that I deserve to be at the table too kind of thing. And so you, you plow ahead. And there are a lot of ways she does. Like if this was any other company, she does. Like she does deserve to be at that table. She And I also see the frustration of a woman being like, um, 
just constantly, everyone says Silicon Valley is a boys club. There's never women invited. Women are, you know, there's like very few women in companies. I mean, my God, very few people of color, everything. There's like minority, forget it, any sort of like diversity in these incredibly rich companies. So there's this hold that I'm sure she wants to keep and just say, I can do this. I am worth it. But it, this wasn't a cell phone battery company. <laughs> like she just, she's not. Yes. She can't yes. be here. Steve Jobs can like <laughs> tweak a little bit around the new, you know, the latest technology and Apple product because at the end of the day, a cell phone or a monitor or an iPad, you know, it's not do or die. Most of them don't explode anymore. <laughs> exactly. Like yeah. Thankfully. We, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's just such a different, it's a different animal when you're in this space. But, um, you know, at one point, the company was worth nine billion and she yes. owned half, meaning yes. her net worth on paper was like four and a half billion dollars. I mean, the allocation of funds in Silicon Valley. Yes. Men got that money. Older men, privileged and their younger families men. Got it. A lot of um legacy groups. There exactly. was lots of people that then brought in other family members. And it was it was a very tight knit group. You know, it is such a feat to get a net worth of four point five billion from investors as a woman starting your own company that's a feat that's amazing like to that out there is wonderful and completely stressful and she's it was also then became you know she was trying to basically like hold herself up and float and you cannot it's not you apply for a job and the job's a little too much for you she was promising something using science that she didn't know how to use science. And I guess this happens with CEOs and in companies. And I will say that if you say you want to create the most comfortable sweater in the world, you go to a manufacturer, you have the designers, you have the fabric, the merchants, you you work with people that do those pieces of the puzzle and you organize it. And it did seem that in watching the documentary, she did have a lot of smart, brilliant engineers, scientists, uh, lab technicians. But even they were like, they didn't know what they were doing. Like you can have the smartest people, but if the science hasn't even been created yet, you can't expect these geniuses to then do your job for you. You're then asking them to create your invention while you're selling it. Exactly. And I mean, the reason I think she was able to raise so much money was it is a brilliant idea. Like yes. the idea that this device could exist, which for anyone who doesn't know the specifics of it is like a tiny pinprick on your finger. One drop mm-hmm. of blood, multitude of tests, no more vials of blood, minutes and minutes of sitting there with the needle in your arm, like like a pinprick. I mean, sign us up. Like everybody was so interested and nobody vetted behind the scenes until it was, you know, off the tracks. And and that right. is so much of what's been exposed and what's coming out in court now is evidence just mounting about the people working. <laughs> Hours of it. Yeah. I mean, just unbelievable. They were they were in Walgreens pharmacies, the device, yes. but then sending out tests to secondary sources of places who can actually do this. Oh, it was supposed to come back in minutes or hours. You know, it was yeah, quick results. It, it, the, she had a really good point. She said in an interview very early on that the current blood tests and the current blood test machines haven't really been updated since like 50s, very early, early on, maybe 60s. And so she was saying, like any technology enthusiast, let's get the next upgrade. Let's let's make it easier. Now, the reason is that it's not just that you have a machine that can either take is slow or fast. It's that what it's reading and what it's processing at a certain speed, you need it to also be accurate. So I think a lot of times, even when I've had blood drawn, and again, guys, this is just about drawing blood. This was what her... um 
sales was. When I have to get drawn blood, the doctors will say, like the nurse will say, you know, we have plenty. We just always take a little bit extra just in case anything happens. And it's always sort of a thing where, yes, it's a hassle. Yes, it's annoying to sit there and get blood drawn. But it is also a formula and a pattern that has been worked out in every hospital center, in every nur- nursing home. It's it's a way of testing that has been proven over and over and over again. And even then, sometimes there's mistakes and they double it. Like they told me for my BRCA diagnosis, like, let's do it a second test just to make sure, just so because things happen, this is human beings and machines working together. You know, you're just... And it's your life. You know, let's just double check. So what she was showing, and she has this iconic picture of her holding up like a tiny like tic-tac vial of blood. And what she's trying to prove is that you can get all of this information, as you were saying, incredibly quickly, almost like in a vending machine. (laughs) And that will tell you everything that you would have to wait in your doctor's office to get and then wait for a lab result. So huge red flags with that. And this is what we talked about earlier is that you know, then she wanted it to be direct to consumer so that you could get your own lab tests the way you would like to. That's incredibly problematic because there's so much information, medically speaking, that that's a huge, overwhelming onboard of, you know, data that you take as a human being if you're not qualified to understand it. It requires interpretation. It's not straightforward data. It's, you know, I always need my doctor on my annual visit. You know, you get the panel done and I'm like, forget it. I see a range of normal. I see my numbers. I still don't know what this means exactly. You know, that's not for us to always determine by ourselves. No, no. And and I believe me, I've wanted to and I've tried to and I've like WebMD'd myself a million times. And even then I know it's not completely what you think you're researching might be a variant on what really you have. And another part of that too is that she mentioned in this documentary that people could do it every day. They could check their blood. Well, there's a reason you don't get your blood checked every single day unless you're diabetic. You know, I... I had my hormones checked. They said, we don't want to check you for another three months. We want to see if you're, I was like switching birth controls and like totally messed me up and everything. And it really stressed me out. And my doctors were like, we're not even going to check you for three months to see if you can naturally resync your hormones. Well, for Elizabeth Holmes, if I did it her way, I would have been checking it every single day, completely panicked because one day there are, one day they lower, I ate something I didn't eat. Like it's for so many reasons, it should not be a home device. Unless you're somebody who's going in for your dialysis, someone who has taking insulin, like that's a specific plan and program that has been researched and studied by for years by yes. thousands and millions of people. Yeah. And and we've already heard in court, and again, this is a federal trial, so unfortunately for us, cameras are not there. So I can't stream it on court TV like I would prefer to. Oh. I actually have to read the coverage. Um, I've been reading it. But uh I've learned, you know, they're, they've had multiple witnesses uh, who have used the device and their stories. And I don't know if you heard of one specifically, Bethany Gold. She yes. was pregnant and yes. used this for her pregnancy test at the recommendation of her doctor. So her doctor was deploying the Theranos It was device. in their office. It wasn't like she walked into a Walgreens, the doctors, because they also went, it was so crazy, guys, this, this company, the Theranos, they went to all these doctor's offices and they were like, why wait for LabCorp? Why wait for your MD, whatever, elite technology? So it was in her doctor's office. And then the doctor, not only was she concerned, but the doctor said, I don't feel comfortable even giving this test to my patient. But this is a woman who'd had three previous miscarriages. So these are people very in tune with her pregnancy test. And it's kind of, you know, obviously a very important test. So her um, HCG level 
Well, she took it twice. And one it showed was really low. And so the the hormone that's present that tells you kind of for sure that you're pregnant, there needs to be a certain amount of it. I don't know what it is. And this showed after she knew she was pregnant that it was super low and it looks like this wasn't going to be a viable pregnancy. So the doctor said your choices are now kind of letting your body go through the natural process of absorbing the pregnancy or officially terminating since we know this is not viable. Why don't you just wait it out? Yeah, she was going through a miscarriage. So that was what they understood. The data said. Yeah. And so we said, why don't we just wait it out and take one more test? They took another Theranos test some days later, and it showed an astronomically high presence of HCG, almost abnormally high, but showed that she was very much dangerous. Yeah. And dangerous, but that she was very much, in fact, pregnant. So now they had these two very conflicting pieces of data. She goes on to have a different test and she has a pregnancy. And thankfully, she had a healthy pregnancy and gave birth to a daughter. But these are like what we're talking about when we're talking about the stakes. There were STD results that were incorrect. You know, oh, yes. really important pieces of personal health and the emotional journey that these people went on with misinformation is just, um, you know, I think that's where it hits home for people and they start to understand the gravity of what was going on. Right. Because just as Elizabeth was using that emotional response to grab marketers and using that story, she is also ruining people's lives because it is an emotional response. And if you think you're pregnant and then miscarried like two seconds later, this is the first they used in this trial as an example, because also the technician and the practitioner helping her said they then sent her test out to a completely different lab. Like then they felt not that they had to take multiple Theranos tests, that they had to then they couldn't trust this anymore. And medically speaking, she didn't believe and have any faith that she could take care of her patients using this. So then when they got multiple tests, everything was made clear in these other labs. But that was also interesting, not just that you're hurting these people, but that someone who's gone to medical school has done the job and the work for all of this goes, this is so fucked. (laughs) I I gotta bounce. (laughs) And Theranos themselves were also sending tests out to to other labs. Oh my God. Yeah. We're gonna, let's do a quick, we'll do a quick break because I want to hear all about that. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. 
You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. <sighs> what flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Okay, so let's start. Let's go back, Rebecca. You were talking about the fact that, which is such a great point, that Theranos also sent out their labs that they said they were doing to other companies to double check their own work because they couldn't even do their own labs. Exactly. So that obviously extends the wait time. So now the customer, the patient is going, okay, so it's taking much longer. And the reason is that it's going out to another source, a, a, a a legitimate source. And, you know, that's problematic for a couple of reasons. And one that is just interesting is they're basically paying other people who can do this for what they are saying they can do. So and that they a lot of the, the time to do. And they, they haven't, haven't taken, the, taken time. the time to and figure it out. And there were people behind the scenes. There were people saying we need, um, it's not FDA approval. It was some other, there's these check-in points with this new technology right. that you're supposed to do twice a year. And what they're showing in court now is just evidence of emails of people saying to Elizabeth, like, we got to slow down, get this some stuff in order before we go to market officially. And over and over, she denied doing that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, I don't think it's going to be hard for them to show that she very knowingly forged ahead, despite the problems in the background, in the labs that they were having. And that's just one of the ways. I think the defense is going to have a really hard time putting forward a successful defense. And I don't know if you heard like the big, the bombshell, if you're listening to the dropout Elizabeth Holmes on trial, it's like the season two of it, the podcast, Mm -hmm. they're going with a defense of psychological abuse from Sunny, who was her partner in the business Mm -hmm. and her relationship partner, her personal partner, that she was unable to discern what was going on and to make mm-hmm. clear decisions because she was under the spell sort of in some ways yes. of Sunny Balwani. So that's an interesting defense that kind of oh, I have a lot of feelings turn. about. I have so many feelings about it. It's so true. I'm so glad you you brought because that was where my next one to talk about is that so you have Elizabeth at the helm of this running everything, people sending her direct emails. You can't do this. You know, this isn't how you run a company. But the reason she has 50 percent of this company is because the other half is with her live in boyfriend who I read she met at like 17 and he's 20 years older. She was 17. He was 37. She said he convinced her to drop out of Stanford at 19 and create this together. So there is a sense of all the boxes are checked as like grooming, um, some creepy man, female relationship, controlling. And and apparently they have texts back and forth and they read the text in court that he would say things like, we need this right now. And we also need our relationship to get better. And she would just say, yes, correct to both. Like it was very robotic that they would Their throw in. Their texts are so weird. So weird. <laughs> There's definitely a power imbalance. Having met at the ages they met and their age difference. Um, and I always want to leave room for a true story of abuse and um, yes. coercive control. But if it isn't true to use that dishonestly discredits you know the many victims who do suffer from that it's so low it's so wrong 
my gut is that that isn't the case here. I do think it might be like a messed up relationship. I do think there might, mm-hmm. I think it was probably not healthy for them to be in business together and romantically linked. And their yes. texts are super weird. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Missing words. It's really, really odd. weird. And so I also think there is an opportunity, there's a chance where both of these could be true that she at the same time can be in a, a weirdly controlling, I don't know, abusive, like there, because uh, I don't know. And I, there was no evidence and no one had said that prior to this trial, which, which doesn't mean it's not true. Like there, it might've been there, but it's the abuse that she's showing isn't a traditional abuse as, as I would understand. It's just somebody being like direct and curt in a voicemail and saying, no, I'm, I mean, not in voicemail, I'm sorry, in a, in a text message, just saying, I want to take care of this. Let's, let's work this out later. Just sounded more like a direct boss employee relationship, which is an imbalance of power completely. So that might've been there and there might've been some sort of grooming and manipulation and control. But at the same time, there was also her complete blinded desire to get this product to market, to be the face of it. And there was a lot of it that everyone said, she'd come in, she'd meet with you, but she, in the her company, not a single person, not a receptionist was hired without her approval. There were so many aspects of her life that or an aspects of like this story that she explained and that the people around her explained that she was in complete control and obsessed with this company. Even talking about the company, they said she almost tranced out when she talked about it. Yeah. She had her hands in everything. It would be hard. It would be a hard story to sell right now that she was unaware of so much that she says she was unaware of. Yeah. The other thing is there are more texts coming out that show um, Sunny having some level of reckoning and yes, her, let me see if I can find her it. sort of saying, like, I've got this. I, I think there's just as many texts where she positions herself as the one to be trusted. She's the face of this and they're moving forward. And there's one I have written down. Um, I'd love to find mm-hmm. some with Sunny's quotes, but she wrote in yeah. 2014 when things were starting to maybe there were some signals, a little writing on the wall. She wrote my new life as of this night and forevermore. Total confidence in myself best business person of the year, which is wow. And then he responds, awesome. You are listening and paying attention. So he's feeding her too, that you are this worthy business person who should be confident. Like he, he did a lot of encouraging of her ego as well. So I think you're right. Like most things, I don't think it's all one or the other. The truth is probably somewhere right in the middle and it's a little gray, which is why I think taking that defense strategy is really bold and a little risky. Completely. He even said too, you know, we have to get FDA approval for this or we're not going to, this company is not going to sign with us. And there were venture capitalists that said, I was going to work with them, but because they didn't follow things in the proper timeline, I decided it was a little too risky. So as you're saying, yes, like he also knew that there were these fishy things. I think both of them at one point were treading water in this belief that they're just going to get it in the nick of time. And that's not how medicine works. Yeah. You know, I was talking last night with a group about about scammers and like, is it, do you know, are they believing what they're saying? Like, what is it? And someone made the analogy of, you know, you go to gamble at a casino and you know everything's stacked against you, but there's something mm-hmm. like the house always wins. And yet mm-hmm. you sometimes think you might be the one, the outlier. And I think anybody totally. to have the c- courage and the ability to raise that kind of money would definitely have the sense of specialness and uniqueness and 
I'll be the one that will pull this off before, you know, it's ready or prematurely or right in the nick of time before this all blows up in my face. I really think they were moving with that belief in mind. That's what like propelled them forward. Totally. And they were just, they're patting each other on the back, back and forth. They're just like, you know, you are doing really great. This is exactly right. You're completely right. I'm trying to find one more a group of text because the text messages were so oh, so well the romantic boring. ones are cringy but it just feels very like stilted the way she texts like i don't know they're curt and they're short and they're concise and weird <laughs> it's and so weird they uh she called him his her tiger uh-huh um didn't need to know that you know but we no. know everything between them like all their texts it's a That's lot so funny That's and you know so he wasn't funny. the only one very close to her, even outside of a professional setting, her brother worked for her and getting a, right. getting a lot about the HCG uh, specifically. And he's like, obviously, we can't just say it was a mistake. Yeah. And she wrote back, it's handled. Like, don't worry about it. And that was her response Crazy. a lot of the time to people was like, I've got this or like, you don't need to know, but it's being handled. And so people were really pushed out of knowing when they started to get too close. Yeah. So again, that's her brother. <laughs> so weird. Well, I also read that she was like obsessed with Monopoly as a kid. And even if she was winning, she would demand that everyone around her finishes the game so she could collect all of the houses and hotels, even if everybody's was losing and she was the winner. She made her like brother and friends finish the game out and then if she wasn't winning she would stomp off and have a complete tantrum and that's like early psychotic behavior like a like a very early sociopath like yeah i a lot of kids you can kind of reason with them and go like okay like this is what's fair and you can even be like what would elmo do he would let your friend have a couple of hotels but no she she has this energy this way of being from the get-go and I find, I found some texts. She said to her boyfriend, Sunny, she said, you are the breeze and desert for me. But then his response was, my water, period, and ocean. And then another text was, madly in love with you and your strength and feel like the luckiest person in the world. BC, I have you. Because I have you. She didn't even text out because I have you. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing. They, they are there. busy, busy executives. They're, they clearly, <laughs> like, dated via text. Like, I think they lived, <sighs> slept, and breathed that company. Um, yeah. And that's interesting about that Monopoly story. I hadn't heard that. I do have, I have three kids, and one is very competitive. He does not like to lose a board game. So now I will have an extra eye yeah, on him. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, that's what's so funny is that, like, you know, Yes, your kids have things like Lewis doesn't like to share certain toys. Like people have parts of it, but parents are usually involved. There's usually some way where you can be even psychotic at a seven-year-old age and people grow out of it. You could, I even know some psychotic people when they were in college and then you do, you learn, you grow, life happens, things change. And in this, it did almost seem like like a little kid with a game and she was like, we're going to finish this game until it's done. Now, if she's found guilty, she could be sent to jail for 20 years. She already like owes people money. She's already given away a bunch of money. Like she's very much losing in this monopoly game right now. Absolutely. And, you know, which begs the question, I just interviewed um, Rebecca Jarvis, who's reporting on this story for The Dropout. And I asked her, you know, how is she affording her defense team, which is like top notch Bay Area attorneys? 
and it's a team, you know, you, the, mm-hmm. there's two people at the front of it, but you know, that's not the only people working. And right. she said, nobody knows. It's a really good question. She said, um, some companies have a policy in place that will cover liability and insurance type policy, and that would never be made public. So Theranos, even though they went down and went under, they could have had that in place protecting Um, high-level executives were they ever in this position. So it could be that, but more likely it's probably some still supporter who is not yet seeing the light and is ponying up for her defense. Her new boyfriend is also Yes, they well, got married, actually. Oh, did they? She, yes, she, like, qu- quietly married, I think, during COVID, this heir, this um, I didn't hotel heir. I know that. Okay, I know they have a child together, and I know that was one of the reasons her um, trial was postponed. There was COVID and then her pregnancy. Again, oh. a luxury many people in our criminal justice system are not afforded. You're pregnant, you show up. Like, But when you have a, a defense team that can make some argument in some way, you know, again, I just think, look, I'm not going to say why or how she got, well, I know how she got pregnant. I have a guess. <laughs> but like, again, is that a manipulation, you know, because that yes. does buy time, which buys a better defense. Like these are all connected and things that really are worth examining. And to your earlier point about growing out of some of those traits, I also think some of our traits are not inherently bad, but we can use them for evil. Like, Her tenacity and ability to be competitive made her get into Stanford and have this idea and get as far as she did. The downfall is also like when she can't see past it and has those blinders. Like I have traits that I think are really, really, they're good parts of me, but they can go off the rails if I'm not in check. So sometimes our greatest strength can be our total downfall if it's not regulated or managed. So I think that's totally what we're seeing with her. I also agree with you bringing up those manipulative points about the pregnancy and holding off trial. I mean, there are women that are waiting for trial in prison or in jail and they're going through pregnancy or they're delivering their babies. There's been like horrible cases, which actually my husband has a great um, article about criminal justice and what was happening in Tennessee. And they actually got a law changed because of situations like this. And he reported on it. And these women who were pregnant were put into sort of like a medical care unit while they were still awaiting trial. But then their cases were basically ignored. And that medical care unit was a solitary confinement cell. And so women are having babies and losing babies completely alone without even being convicted. People with mental health issues. Like there is so much that needs to be fixed with our current system. And then you have somebody in here that just waltzes in with all of this money. Some of her, none of it's also her money. She, well, she's right. Not, it's like none s- of it. Scam on scam. Yeah. yeah. I do not like how, how very differently our system can play out for two different defendants. But yeah, she was able to postpone this to the point where she got to have her baby. And obviously she has, I'm sure, great childcare in place and can show up every day alert and ready to participate in her own defense, which is a right of anyone on trial in our country. But gosh, how hard is it for a woman who has no support system and no means? She's currently breastfeeding. Oh my God. (laughs) I mean, you know, and her mom is with her, her partner is with her. Like she's really coming from a place of privilege. And even if she's convicted... I think we're going to see, I mean, I don't know how to predict these things. I think she will get 
I think she won't be convicted. I think she won't have Mm -hmm. a sentence. And I think she won't serve the whole thing. Yeah, I I agree. And it said that right now it's that she's charged with 10 counts of fraud and two counts of conspiracy for allegedly defrauding patients and investors in their failed blood test company. So that's what's going on right now. And they just had, as we're talking about their Adam Rosendorf, um, who was a formal tech lab, had been on the witness stand for, I think, three days. So devastating. There's so much there. There is so much there. And I, I also read this thing that said that she's also if she's. I don't know if it's already happened or if she's convicted, it'll happen. She's not allowed to be the head of a company or like a public company for 10 years. And I was like, oh, my God, in 10 years, she's going to come out with like a book and create a new company and start like she's. 10 years is a drop in the pan for her. She's absolutely going to be sitting and waiting. She'll reinvent herself. I mean, Martha Stewart has not been blacklisted from an empire, right? And Elizabeth Holmes is young. She's not done. And yeah, Dr. Rosendorf's testimony has been devastating. And he's been on three days, like you said. And he's one of, there's 200, there's over 200 names on the list of witnesses to testify. (gasps) Doesn't mean they're all going to go up, but that's who's on the list. This trial is like it's dense. I mean, it is so intense. And in the beginning of her company, she started with not like a handful of people, 700 people. She decked out like it was a factory. And these are brilliant doctors and technicians and scientists that are all working with her that she did grab. And I guess she had enough money. She could employ whoever she wanted. She could make it a really exciting offer. But it wasn't a small task force like a lot of these cults start start off with like just the families in and then everyone involved no she she started with 700 people yeah well when you start with investors like the murdoch family and the heirs to walmart and the devosses you know it helps like you got some pocket money and you can pay people and you can construct the illusion of this giant like fortress of a company that's that's changing the world and that those are her words right like she was there to change the world Yeah, it's all just going to be really fascinating to keep watching play out in court. And I think her defense team is is kind of trying to continue that narrative of like, this is a young woman who was out to change the world and who did and made some kind of honest mistakes along the way, like kind of that classic white collar defense. I hate it. Um, Yeah, I hate it too. Because they're saying too that her boyfriend um, came in to work at Theranos she dropped out of university in 2003. He came in in 2009 as president and chief operating officer overseeing the company's lab. But he had only worked as a software engineer and a startup executive and had no experience in lab pathology science, zero. So they're also going to frame that he, I guess, like you're saying, knowingly went into all of this. But I just think she is such... A piece of garbage. I I mean, she, you know, we can all have horrible things happen to us. We've all had trauma. We've all had sad stories. We've all had, we've all been in terrible relationships or manipulative or tried to get out of one. But at the same time, like, I don't know many other people who created a fraudulent medical company to then make people and ruin people's lives. Because this is, it's not just the scam of it all. It's that each individual person, like you're saying, there's 200 people that can come on this trial that can testify each individual person, then it affects their life. Then it creates a snowball effect. Then they might have an unneeded surgery or 
um, something that didn't go diagnosed that should have been looked at. And I will say, medically speaking, my doctors did tell me that right now you can, through blood tests, trace certain markers that could be tumor markers, which is pretty amazing. I mean, the blood research is coming there. Now, they took huge vials of blood and... um, Oh, I'll just share it on the podcast because I don't care. Um, So I went in for the hormone stuff that I was all worried about. And then they said I had a cyst. And so for me, I have a really high risk based on my genetic makeup of possible ovarian cancer. So it it made me go crazy. Oh, my God, Rebecca. I was so upset. I was like, we have to have 100 babies right now because what if I die tomorrow? Like I just I, – I really snowballed. And they even said you have to wait three months to – get off birth control, see if that was the problem of the cysts. And cysts are incredibly common, but it doesn't matter if it's common or not. It meant it scared me hugely. I didn't want to tell my family members because my family was going through their own difficult times and I didn't want to add to that. So I felt like I was keeping the secret, even though it wasn't diagnosed. It felt so scary. And then um, then my doctor told me, she was like, but I, to comfort me, we can do a blood test that checks and see if you have a tumor or any sort of indication that you would have your levels would change that would indicate that you're fighting a tumor if it is. Now, everything's come back negative. Everything's fine. I'm completely normal. No birth control for this lady because I just, I can't handle that up and down. But this is just one small test. And they did thousands of these for tons of people who, what really sucks too is that she's trying to say that this is something that saves money. It can be individualized, all of this stuff. But then once you get this insane test result that you don't know if it's correct or not, then you do have to pay a ton of money to then double, triple test yourself, find consultants, find a therapist because you're incredibly depressed. Like, No, the ripple they, effect is is massive. Huge. And she really underestimates that, especially because she also part of her story was fixing a broken healthcare system, which who doesn't yeah. want to get on board that vision? Because we all have experienced that to varying yeah. degrees. So suddenly something's going to be faster, cheaper and like bypass the whole Mm-hmm. convoluted system, sign me mm-hmm. up. And then what you're saying is true. Like they have to then spend more time and money fixing the problem. And, you know, to your point, your story is a perfect example. I'm so glad for the way it turned out. We've got yeah. such a far reaching impact that she had. And then there's the employees, you know, one who took his own life. Wait, I didn't even read that. Oh How my did I miss God. That? Yeah. So there was a biochemist. He was one of the chief scientists at Theranos named Ian Gibbons. And the stress he was put under at work, his wife says, is a direct impact to him deciding to take his life by suicide. And so imagine that family's impact, the residual impact. The trauma that that has caused, the the trauma it will cause. And, And that was the thing too, is that when you don't understand how science and medicine work and the human body works you demand things from people like a psychotic you know like factory owner and that's not at all what happens and you you create this for people and i'm i'm sure they're gonna say he had a mental illness we did nothing with it and that's really like you're saying like all these cult leaders do they drive people with this incredible amount of pressure and i'm sure he knew that the ship was sinking And he knew that people were having a horrible time and affecting their lives. And you can't live like that. Right. Well, I just was refreshing my memory on his story. And he was emailing Elizabeth about the multiple inaccuracies. And she responded and said, I'd like to have a meeting with you in person in my office. And this was at a time when she was firing people left and right. And look, we know job security 
is a real thing. And he was so afraid that he was being terminated. He took his life before that meeting. (gasps) So (sighs) were there other factors in his life pushing him to that point? Probably. But I mean, it's literally documented that he was one of these whistleblowers early on. This was like 2013. It's just awful. And apparently the company's response to his widow, his wife, were really cold and not. You've seen the text messages. They're not going to be nice to a widow. Forget it. (laughs) If you're not nice to somebody, you're plowing. I mean, it's like. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe like sympathy, period. (laughs) Nothing. Yeah. Sympathy, period dot 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 and that's it the dot 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 says a lot more you know when you look into it you know maybe there is an actual diagnosis of elizabeth holmes you know that is far above my pay grade uh i'd like to speak to a forensic you know psychiatrist psychotic yeah but is she does she have narcissism probably complete complete complete. and it's interesting because i also am curious because going back to like the age of everything and that, you know, she's such a victim because she started, she met him at 18, 19, but maybe she ended up becoming, she was starting to be psychotic and all of this money and all of her story and owning this company just propelled her insanity. Maybe it wasn't that. I don't, maybe it kind of seems more like, like she wasn't the victim here. She got fed all of the stuff that just, it was like an insane dictator that just kept feeding her ego over and over and over again to not tear her down, but to build her up to her own mental illness of believing that she's God and she can do everything. It built up in in that way, as opposed to I'm sure they're going to tell the story of it tearing her down and she was this victim and she had no choice. I think it fueled her in this insane way and actually went the opposite direction. Yeah, I could totally see that. It it um, was like a feeding frenzy. Yes. And then it's like an unwillingness to to let that go and to lay it down and to say, I can't. I mean, it would be nearly impossible. All that money and all the people on the line, like everything was on the line for her. Yes. It was just, I mean, the Fry Festival, the Fire Festival was nothing like this. But this, I, all of these guys, all of these leaders, they get to a certain point and they do not look back. And I think it's almost easier for them, and no, it is, to lie to themselves, to shut people down, to fire people, than to realize that they're living on a complete lie <laughs> and that they're ruining people's lives. They, there's no introspection until they're in court and they maybe cry a little bit. But right, the Fire Festival is a great example. It's like, why in his mind was it harder to imagine? stopping the boat, stopping the show and saying like, this is going to be a disaster because the writing was on the wall. Everyone knew it. How was that harder than going through with it, arriving there and the the just the massive shit show that ensued after, like dealing with that mess was so much bigger. That's what they would prefer. They would have preferred not. And it's it's ego. It's embarrassment. I mean, right. They it's shame do and not shame. They they God forbid any of these people feel for a moment embarrassment and something must have happened to them. They must have been embarrassed one time in third grade and never again will they be embarrassed or something right. really stupid, I will not you know, that kid or that yeah. girl. Yeah. And yeah. they'll never they'll never go back. And it, it it is they'd rather go through jail turmoil work than admit that maybe they were wrong or they were lying and apologize for it. Yeah. None and, of that. And they certainly don't mind, you know, bringing people down along the way. People whose real actual livelihoods and existences yeah. were severely compromised like all those people on that island who you know didn't get paid and aren't like protected the way billy mcfarland and ja rule were um that guy oh my gosh you know he made a podcast (laughs) right and had to go to solitary confinement yeah he made a podcast yeah yeah and he got put in solitary for it because he didn't get permission 
Of course, because he's a fucking idiot. He's still, like, breaking and the rules. Like, he still thinks he's above the rules. That is what is insane. Insane. And what was also crazy is that I remember from Billy McFarlane's story, his mother said his first job was outsourcing something from a company in India and selling it to his friends. Like, he started believing that he should make money and he deserved to make money by using other people at, like, 8, 10 years old. Yeah, see, and my same kid is coming to mind because he's a reseller. And now I'm seriously <laughs> going home and having a serious conversation with him. That's it's all legitimate. And he is an entrepreneur. And we great. do talk to him and we do say, like, you can use these skills for good in the world or bad. Like, you can be yeah. selfish and just want to make as much money as you can. Or, and we try to, you know, expand his vision of what a, like a good business could be. But my gosh, That's he has great. been that kid since he was little. And we will do our damnedest to make sure he, you know, doesn't become a Billy McFarland. No, he, I don't think he will because also it didn't seem that any of these people had. Both of their parents seem to be applauding them for that fact. Like, it, and sort of saying that it's a good thing. So they were growing up learning. I think her mother... Elizabeth Holmes was like a lobbyist. They worked in D.C. They were wealthy. So it's just sort of this idea. Billy McFarland's mother was so impressed with him that he was such a manipulator at such a young age. This was something, too, that was never considered or no shadow casted on it, never a doubt in the family dynamic that this maybe isn't how you live. And that has to be then how they develop their psychological yeah, you know, I get the sense these were not people who heard no a lot. Mm-mm. And, you know, this has played out to like the nth degree. Like they would not hear no. That's like the big common denominator. Big, and that's a thing with cult right. leaders too. <laughs> right. Well, and then not to go back to the Lula Road documentary because I just saw it, but the two founders were talking about their parents growing up and how money was their favorite memory of both parents and how both of their parents their biggest memories or their best thoughts or talking so lovingly on them was all about their own like capitalist gains and literally pouring dollar bills on the kids. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And he was like crying about his dad, not wanting to settle and work for somebody else because he was going to be rich one day. And that made him cry. It just, it's psychotic, but it is, it is a psychotic little tiny ecosystem that is working really well. And then these people come out of it and they're, thriving and they don't think anything's wrong with them. And I think like for your son, I mean, my God, he sounds so sweet and so smart that you could, I feel like you could easily be like, look, we used this to give back to this family or we're going to surprise a friend. Look how happy he is, how surprised he is. Like showing that the good and the benefit of other people, or you can use this money or toys to give to people that don't have it or really it makes a big impact to use the profit in a way. I don't think any of these people that we're talking about ever used any of the profit or benefits for anybody but themselves. Not even for a second. I agree. And I am I totally bring this up in jest. It's just funny because these specific instances know, you so mentioned sweet. like totally are like ding, ding, ding. That sounds like my third child. It's so sweet. Um, but also like what we model as parents is really yes. important. Not just like the things we say, but my husband runs and whatever. He runs like a a nonprofit. This, he loves Mm -hmm. soccer. So they have pickup soccer games and then the Um, money is, goes to soccer charities around the world. So my son has also grown up volunteering for that organization. So I know he gets, he's volunteered. Yes. The the impact of like there's nothing. It is so simple. Like kids are creative. Kids are smart. Kids are, Lewis is like trying to manipulate us every morning to be like, I don't know if I can go to school today. (laughs) And we're like, why? And he's like, I don't know guys, it's going to be one of those days. And then he goes and he's like, bye mom. (laughs) 
But I'm like, okay. So he, we, you know, talked with his teachers. They're like, okay, he's very smart and very sensitive. So he'll start planning his day and the feelings for his day the minute he wakes up, basically. So I'm like, I have a highly sensitive boy. I don't want him to become one of those men that stomps around and cries all day long and is like, um, you know, is mansplaining because he feels that he's never heard. I'm like, okay, you can be heard, but we'll also use these feelings to accept and move forward. Like, and it not to like parent blame in any of these things, but the pattern that I see in all of these insane people is that they, the characteristics that as a society, we don't think are that healthy or great or morally questionable. What I've seen is that each of their parents and like social structures or, you know, growing up situations applauded that and let it flourish, which is rare. And I think that's also why a lot of times in these interviews and in these documentaries, they do ask about like, what were they always like this? And a lot of times they were. To get to Elizabeth Holmes level, you had to have been supported in some way from the beginning that it's not 19 because she had a cool, fun idea. It's 19 because she was planning on this for forever. She said she was going to be a billionaire at, I think, seven or 10. She wrote in a journal that she's going to be a billionaire. Like that, this is not new. And and so that's sort of like the insane. I, I think so too. And I think, look, we all think our kids are amazing and special. And we're all afraid of our kids. <laughs> Wait till so they can outnumber you. Yeah. Um, but in these cases, it was like this inability to see any fault in what they were doing. And the, she met him, Elizabeth met Sunny at age 17 because she was at some like Chinese language yes. thing at Stanford before she even enrolled there because she's that amazing. And her parents obviously worked to support all those endeavors, which is what we do as parents. Like we lean into yes. their talents and gifts. That's the right thing to do. But I, again, it's it's taking that like kind of blindly and not tempering it with any dose of reality or mm -hmm. other way, alternative Even reality vision. TV, I'll take a dose of reality TV. Just something. Something, <laughs> something. honestly. Bring oh it God. down. <laughs> Bring it in. Yeah, you're right. I remember reading that, that she even to get into that program, she didn't think she could get in. So she had a face-to-face -face meeting with the person that she believed that that would get her in. And it did get her in. So she is manipulating, convincing or determined and, and tenacious. Like, again, it's, yes, a, it's the way true. you spin it. It's, um, yeah, she is tenacious. I will give her that. And she's not, it, she's not a cult leader. I'm, I meant the other guys, but yeah, she is tenacious. She is smart. She is commanding. And the other thing, too, we didn't even mention is that people said she doesn't blink when oh you my talk gosh. to her, which right. is a complete power tactic. Yes. And it's terrifying. Um, more than the I, voice, this is yeah. like very disturbing to me. Oh, so upsetting. And she and she really ruined turtlenecks for all of us ladies who look in a turtleneck. And I just, you know, f you. Okay, we. I didn't even get into Anna Delvey. So, we, guys, the Elizabeth Holmes trial is still going on. She's crazy. Look at her for yourself. I'll link all the things. Now, Anna Delvey also was a woman who claimed to be an heiress. And the reason we, I was making that early connection is that people said she had all of this money. She was spending all this money. She had all these credit cards. But they're like, but her hair always looked like <laughs> really raggedy for a rich person. And they said, these women in the societies, these rich societies, you do get your hair done. There's certain like grooming things. They have a dermatologist on lock. Like there's certain things that very affluent people do as a group. And they were like, Anna just seemed like a little, <laughs> that was a weird thing. And it was her hair that gave her away. 
Uh, it always does, ladies. That's why we're all like, you know, just struggling all the time and spending too much money on it because, yeah. I got like highlights. It's too much. There's the dead much. ringer. Although sometimes someone can be so rich that they don't have to do their hair, right? Because there's that wealth that's too. What, but no, that's what she was trying to do. And I think people were like, still, still, you are, you have like, you haven't combed your hair. Like there's some element of like maybe a wealthy Grey Gardens lady, but they're probably not going to social events. You know, they're staying in their house making a puppet show. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, I love that that's like, that was her big, her big that tell. Her big, yes. So can you tell us what's happening with her now? Yeah. Well, what I didn't realize, I knew she was out of prison, which I'm sure you did too. She served just under four years and she was released in February of 2021. I didn't, I didn't realize. Oh, no, I I think I did realize. Well, don't get too too comfortable with that fact because it's changed. So she came uh. out in February. She was first at Rikers and then she got moved to um, upstate New York, Albion Correctional Facility, served just under four years. And her Instagram, you know, as soon as she was out, she got yes, on there. I did know she was on And her way. profile yes, read, I'm back. So talk about someone who has had like zero remorse, change of heart, change of behavior. Mm. She stayed in a posh hotel. I don't know how she got the money. Um, but what I learned is that she was being so ostentatious with her lifestyle and publicly putting it out there. She was also, you know, we know now she was not from Germany. She was actually from Russia. So now she's been imprisoned yeah. in the United States. So the process says you have six weeks to, you're like a professional defendant and you have to make, mm. you have to get paperwork to stay here. Otherwise you get deported. Right. So she went to one of her hearings with ICE and they apprehended her. She's in ICE <gasps> custody right now and they're determining if she will go back to Russia or be allowed to stay in New York. Oh, I have no my idea. Gosh. I know. So she's just, you know, there was like two ways to play this when she came out and they are yeah. not happy with her because of what she did. So she has $200,000 to pay in restitution, $24,000 right, in fines. And there is a Netflix show coming in January 2022 about her. Shonda Rhimes is producing it. And mm -hmm. Anna Delvey got uh, $300,000, but New York state law says she can't profit from that crime. Thankfully, that's the son of Sam Law because he that happened oh, after nice. his crime spree. So yeah. she has to first pay back her debts and she can keep whatever's left. So I don't, I guess she didn't do that. And so that's why she's apprehended. I'm not clear on the details, but that's like what they have said she was supposed to do. Wow. Because I remember reading, now Now it's all coming back to me because we've had so many scams. I'm like, where am I in this? So she came back and she was doing these weird comics in jail. And then people were asking her questions and she said, more will be revealed. I remember reading that. And then I remember she was in this limbo and people were like, is she going to stay? Is she not? And I didn't realize she was completely brought into custody at this point. Yeah. I think she's literally there as we speak, facing possible deportation. It's like Joe Judice. Yes. You know, gone, it's, and that can, it? um, right. And that can take a while, as you could imagine. So I don't know what will happen to her, but um, do you remember the part of her story with the woman, Rachel, she went to Morocco with yes. and Rachel ended up putting that whole $60,000 trip on her card. Yeah. So that was part of the trial as like a, one separate charge of theft. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't convicted on that one. So I thought that was interesting too, because hmm. I was reading updates and people, the jury did not find Rachel sympathetic because she didn't have to charge it on her cards. Um, and they felt like she was kind of playing the victim. And I thought that was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So guys, also, if uh, 
you don't remember with Anna Delvey, what she did, she became friends with very famous people, went in really, really wealthy circles and sort of did the old con of saying, I'll pay you back next week or my cards are in the mail from the bank. I am or my loans. You know, I have a loan or I have something coming in from my rich family, but it just hasn't been transferred yet, which is a a way a lot of catfish get money. A lot of people are saying you can promise, I promise you, I'll get the money to you, but can you spot me up front? And so this was thousands and thousands of dollars as she has to pay like the $240,000 back. And so one of the women who came out publicly and talked about how much and Delvey hurt her was this woman named Rebecca. And she talks about the specific trip that they went on. And I kind of understand if she doesn't come off because it seemed also like Rebecca probably wanted that trip as well, you know, and it, it wasn't all on her credit card. Maybe she was going to pay for half or pay for a part of it. You know, so she's claiming she deserves all of compensation for what she paid for Anna Delvey because she's finding out Anna didn't have any money, even though she said she'd pay her back. So I don't know. It, it is interesting because when you're in those situations where you're having a scam where someone's sort of creating a life experience with you, like, let's, let's go on this cruise together. That person is benefiting technically from that cruise, and but also just paying their, the other's share. Right. You know. So her name is Rachel, which I know is confusing because oh, I'm Rebecca. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. But on top of everything you said, she also wrote a book called My Friend Anna. Right. So, so she's making money off that. Right, right. And no, she was stuck with that Amex bill. And also it should be noted that Anna did say, I'm going to take you on a trip to Morocco. It was for um, like a PR video to be shot in Morocco for this arts foundation. So in addition to all the like scamming among her friends, there, the reason she was in New York, the fabricated reason, was she wanted to start the Anna Delvey Arts Foundation. That was what right. this whole thing was for. And she managed to get a line of credit. God, how big was it? The bank gave her a ton of money. And she had mm-hmm. no assets, no wealth, no nothing, and charmed her way into and falsified documents um, yes, yeah. into, <laughs> into getting this line of credit. And from that, she was able to write bad checks. And she became known as the Soho Grifter. So her charges were, it's like theft of services, right? So she stayed at hotels without paying, larceny. But yeah, Rachel's story is interesting because she she did think it was a gift. She got stuck in Morocco. They said, your car didn't go through, Anna. You got to do something. And they were in a foreign country and they were afraid of what would happen if they didn't pay. So she put her right, personal card and her corporate card down and they split it among the boat, among the two. And Amex has since recouped her charges so she is not oh. out that money which is good but i think i probably would feel the same way too i think i probably would feel obligated to somehow pony up i'd be terrified yes. of what was going to happen yeah. um, but i thought that was interesting and yeah they did prove that she completely falsified bank documents which is how she got this line of credit and allowed her to live this complete lie and similarly to elizabeth Although I don't find her to be as winsome or a good communicator. I think she's such an oddball. I mean, so is Elizabeth. But this girl's very young and she doesn't seem particularly smart or compelling. No, it's almost like that like French moody affectation. Like life's so hard. You don't understand. And they're like, ooh, you're you're mysterious and you have an accent that we can't (laughs) quite understand. Maybe you're cool and you get it. And I don't or something. Exactly. And I expect that from like peers and millennials her age. But like the bank was also just like, sure, there were all these red flags there, too. And one of the guys at the bank kind of like, I think they dated. Anyway, so interesting. But I'll be very curious. I have a feeling they're going to they're going to send her home. Like, 
I don't think New York's going to welcome her with open arms. I don't think so. And I'm really curious, like, what the response be, will be when she's home. Like, will they think you're so smart, you outsmarted these people? Or will she be incredibly embarrassing to all of them? Or will it be because she has a TV show, she's a celebrity there? Or will, you know, I'm just so curious what that response is to her. I don't, I don't think anybody likes like a con artist you know i don't think so but i am sort of interested in what her response would be back i think so too and unlike the people we talked about i don't think her parents are as um impressed by her i think they're a little cut from a different cloth if you will like not this american sort of like doting on their child they're kind of like what is she doing? She went to school in Paris and she kind of went off the rails and they were, they really distanced themselves they from her. They did. That was so interesting. That is so interesting too. It's somebody to be like, ugh, I guess she's my kid. Like yeah. you don't hear that. They're probably often. almost relieved she did change her name because obviously we find out her yes. name is Anna Sorokin and she went by Anna Delvey and probably better for the parents. Um, there's an interesting quote from her that I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. She was asked this, I just, you know, it's like, believe what people tell you. So she was asked by Deborah Roberts on 2020, were you living a lie? And she just says, um, I don't think I was no. And I I know that's like, not like a bombshell, but it's like, I don't think I was. No, it's just, she believes it's like, believe what people tell you. She doesn't think she was living a lie. She just actually was, it's everything we just talked about. It's forging ahead with blinders. And a lot of, exactly. And a lot of times these con artists believe I do deserve this. Like if some, because they're people in these circles too, like people in these very rich circles, people in this like around venture capitalists, they're seeing other guys just ask for money and quote, run a company and do, I mean, there are uh, plenty of other like criminal or, um, you know, shady businesses going on in these very high up companies. And I'm sure someone like Anna Delphi is like, you all didn't earn this money. You got it from your brother, your father, somebody else, and you're spending it stupidly or you're getting sponsorship deals by doing nothing but taking a picture on Instagram. I can do this too. Why not me? Yeah. And her lawyer backed that up. Her quote is, uh, she did nothing wrong. She exploited a system that is easily seduced by glitz and glamour and told little white lies. She committed no crime in making people think she had more money. Making people think she had more money than she does isn't a crime. So even out of mm. prison after a conviction, she's that's still the story <laughs> they're spinning, which is interesting. Um, they're like, you keep going at it. You just scam anyone you can in, out of prison, in Russia, the U.S. Who cares? I have Go a feeling Paris. that lawyer must have put her up in the hotel when she got out because how else did that happen? But um, fascinating. There's always a boyfriend. Yeah. There's always some boyfriend. Right. Right. That's true. You know. Yeah. yeah it's right. a wait and see with her for both of them. Wow. Rebecca, these are incredible updates. It's so interesting because when we did break these stories, we're like, what a crazy story. But then because of COVID, because of life, the trials are just extended and the wait time's extended and things are coming through the woodwork. And I'm so excited to touch back on all of these with you. I know, me too. I'm so, you know, anytime you want to talk culty, scams, all this stuff, crime, I'm here. This is, uh, this was so much fun. And these two are, wow, they're just endlessly fascinating. Uh Amazing. And Rebecca, will you tell us again where uh, listeners can find you? Because now they're going to be obsessed with your podcast. (laughs) Yes, please. Come join me over on Dialogue Podcast. It's D-I-E-A-L-O-G-U-E. And my other podcast is Criminality Show. And all my information is on my website, which is my name, RebeccaSebastian.com. And I'm gonna, oh, I'm so excited. This was so much fun, Kate. This was so much fun. I And I we need to also hang out. Let's please do it.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.